Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. Have you guys heard about uh, McDonald's uh, new presidential value meal? Yeah, new presidential value meal. Uh, basically, you order whatever you want, and the guy behind you has to pay for it. <laughs> oh, I know. What do you call an honest politician? Figment of your imagination. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. So it's easy to joke about the government, right? It's easy to poke fun at the government. It's even easy to be disgruntled at the government or by the government. But as Christians, what is our response to the government to be? How are we to live in relation to the government uh, of the land, the the civil authority that is put over us? And this morning, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Yay, everybody's favorite topic. We're going to talk about the government, but it's important. We need to understand what our role is as Christians. How are we to behave when it comes to obeying the government? And we're currently in this section of Romans where, you know, it's the rubber hits the road section. Have you guys have heard me say, Paul has taken the first 11 chapters and he's really given us all of the information that we need. And now we're leaving the schoolhouse and we're getting practical. And, uh, you know, the first 11 chapters, all about doctrine. Now we're moving to that place. How do we just practically live out the Christian life? And as Paul opened this section in chapter 12, well, he began with the most important thing. How are we to practically live out our Christian lives in relationship to God? Man, we are to live our lives in total surrender. In body, in mind, and in will. We're to be surrendered to the Lord in everything we are. And Paul mentioned that first in the list of how we're to live our lives practically. Because as Christians, if our relationship with the Lord is off, all of our horizontal relationships are going to be very difficult as well. If our relationship with the Lord is not right, our relationship with our boss or our employees or our wives or our kids or our neighbors or our community or the government, they're going to be very difficult to live those things out the way that the Lord would have us to if we are not connected to the Lord. And so again, just a reminder, as we go through all of these practical things, how are we to live our lives practically as Christians? Remember, this is not a way to earn God's love. We don't earn God's love. God loves us. Uh, unconditionally. And secondly, these aren't things that we strive to do in our own efforts. These are things that will flow from our lives naturally when we are surrendered and connected to the Lord. And so Paul opened this section of just practical living in chapter 12. He started with God, and then he moved into uh, how are we to uh, respond really in uh, ministry to each other. And we finished chapter 12 on Wednesday night, and, and we looked at just the reality that Paul kind of lays out this truth, and he likens the, the body of Christ to the physical body. And just like the physical body is made up of many different members with many different uh, functions, but all of those members are important. You say, oh, wait a second, well, what about the appendix? Uh, the appendix is, is useless. They get ripped out all the time. Interestingly enough, the more that science studies the human body, the more they've come to realize that every single part is important, even the appendix. It's responsible for uh, the immune system. And it's actually one of the, the first uh, things that, that begins that uh, process when there's an infection in the body. All that to say is that after Paul talks about our relationship with the Lord, he talks about our relationship with each other, uh, specifically in ministry. 
that there's lots of different people who are Christians, lots of different backgrounds and and levels of maturity, uh, giftings and talents, but nobody should think that they're better than anybody else. We are all part of the same body. We're all important, and we all belong to the Lord, and we're to use our gifts and talents to glorify the Lord first and foremost, but secondly, to bless each other and to support each other. And so after... Paul establishes, man, practically we should live a life that's surrendered to the Lord first towards each other. We ought not think we're better than anybody else. We're all a part of something bigger than us. Then Paul moves into how we are to respond, how we're to live our lives relationally with the world. Oh, with Christians, oh, with uh, just non-believers, even with enemies. And chapter 12 ends with this kind of rapid-fire section of just short exhortations on Christian behavior in general, that we're to love, we're to be loving, or we're to be kind, or we're to hate evil, Uh, we're to live peaceably with all men, Uh, we're to love even our enemies, we're not to avenge ourselves. Uh, And so it's just really very practical stuff. It's been kind of fun to go through this uh, section. And again, these aren't ways that we can earn favor with God. Uh, We have favor with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, Nothing else can be added to that. And this is not something that God says, you need to do this in your own strength. These are byproducts of, a, of being connected to the Lord. And so, first of all, we're surrendered to the Lord in everything that we have. Uh, we, Paul addressed how we're to, to live uh, towards one another, how to live to the world. And now, this morning, how are we to live in relation uh, to our government? And so we'll jump in verse 1 of chapter 13 says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. And so Rome, when Paul was writing this letter, was really uh, the imperial capital. It was the, the seat of the empire's civil government. That was the heart of civil government there. It was in, in Rome. And the Christians that Paul was writing this letter to, boy, they were a part of that community. They were citizens of Rome. They were expected to obey the Roman Empire. But they had dual citizenship. They were not only citizens of Rome, they were citizens of heaven. And they were expected to to pledge their allegiance to God. And so how do you balance those two things? How are we uh, going to be obedient to the government and obedient uh, obedient to God at the same time? Uh, What does that look like? And Paul kind of lays that out for us. And I love that. Again, just the practicality of God's word. No matter what we're going through in life, if it's financial or relational or health or, or just how we're to live, man, the Bible covers it all. And so how do we navigate this uh, these waters, how are we to, to be citizens, good citizens of uh, our nation physically and still citizens of heaven at, at the same time? And uh, Paul basically, in a nutshell, boy, gives the Romans some really good advice that is uh, advice that we're to follow as well. And Paul basically says, you need to be subject to the governing authorities, that we are to be obedient to the government. Uh, to, to all the government, the local government, the, the federal government, uh, to, the, to the speed limits, to the, the permit laws. We are to be in uh, obedience, to walk in obedience, to be submitted 
to all of those ordinances. Now, if you're like me, you're like, all right, I don't like this Sunday's teaching. <laughs> I don't like being, uh, you know, subject to the government and told to submit to the government. First of all, uh, submitting does not come natural to our flesh, submitting to God or submitting to the government. But Paul says, listen, you need to submit to the authority of the government. Why? Not because they're the government and they say so, but because God has established the government. That's what Paul said. You are to walk in obedience to the government because God is the one who appointed the government. All of the local laws that we deal with, the speed limit, everything else. And like I told first service, and I've told you guys before, boy, it's those little laws that seem to trip me up the most. Driving the speed limit, wearing my seatbelt, buying a Christmas, cutting, uh, Christmas tree permit, the Christmas tree in the foyer. I went out and cut Christmas trees with my family the day after Thanksgiving. And you know what happened that morning? I said, oh, no, I forgot to get a Christmas tree cutting permit. And my wife said, well, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to go cut a Christmas tree anyways. What do you think we're going to do? And this was my plan. This is how your pastor rationalized it. Boy, I have extra cordwood tags. And there's, I mean, each tag is a quarter of a cord. There's not nearly a quarter of a cord of wood in a Christmas tree. And so I'm off the hook, right? No, wrong. Right, wrong. Uh, I ought not to push that. And that's what Paul is saying. Man, be in subject to the laws, all of them. Why? Because it's not just the government. God is the one who instituted and established all those things. And when we rebel against those laws, even those little ones, really what we're doing is we're rebelling against God himself. That's what Paul said. When we rebel against the government, we really are rebelling against God. And he goes on to say, man, that we are inviting punishment. What happens when you break the law? Boy, punishment. But Paul brings a whole new element into it. It's not just punishment civilly, but punish divinely. I mean, we are going against not just the, the physical government, but against the Lord. And Paul says, man, it's important that we don't do that. Because here's the thing. The rulers, he goes on to say, they're not a terror to good, but a terror to evil. The government is not a terror to good, but a terror to evil. And, you know, this is all predicated on uh, a good government. And so we'll talk more about this in a minute. But the government officials that Paul encountered, think back with me when we went through the book of Acts. Right? There's all sorts of officials that Paul dealt with, centurions and, and Roman leaders, even when he was under arrest. And these men were by and large uh, decent guys who cared highly about justice and doing the right thing. And they wanted to make sure to do the right thing. There was, there was a sense of honor and, and, and even righteousness in these guys. Most of them lost, but they cared about what was right and wrong. And Paul is kind of building this argument on the premise. What do you do when your government isn't interested in right and wrong? Well, we'll talk about that in, in a couple minutes. But, but rulers, good rulers, moral rulers, they're not a terror to good but to evil. Uh, that is the idea, is they're there to protect and to serve. Uh, you know, that they are to bring law and order and justice and to punish the wicked and to protect the innocent. Uh, that really is the, the job of uh, the rulers of the land, to, to punish the wicked and to protect uh, the innocent. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we obey the laws because God has put those laws in order. And, you know, the further we get as a society away from God, the more that 
the government really becomes God. And you look at pagan nations and pagan societies, and who is God? Oftentimes, uh, you know, it's the government. And it's just an interesting thing that Paul says, no, listen, rulers, they're, 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 not, uh, they're not a terror to good but to evil. And uh, I'm glad for that. I'm glad that we have law enforcement. I'm glad we have the law of the land. Um, but Paul continues on in verse uh, 3, the end of verse 3. He says, Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practice evil. So do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do you want to be unafraid of the police and of the judges and of the, the rules and regulations and the consequences thereof? Then do good. Obey the law. It's really simple. Paul says, if you want to be unafraid, then just obey the law. See, if you don't break the law, then you don't have to be worried about going to jail. See, I'm not worried about going to jail on a daily basis because I don't do things that would cause me to go to jail for the most part, except for cutting down Christmas trees. I don't know if I would actually go to jail for that, but I didn't use a cordwood permit. I actually got a Christmas. Did I tell you that part? I actually got a Christmas tree permit. Sorry. Thank you. I actually got a Christmas tree permit. I did not. I was convicted and praise the Lord that, that you can actually print them now. You don't have to go to the Forest Service because I would have been in a, a dilemma there, but I was able to print those out. So, but I, I'm genuinely not. But see, here's the thing, and that's a good point. If I would have gone up into the woods with my cord permits, as much as I tried to justify it, you know what I would be doing every five minutes? Like, now, is that a truck or is that the Forest Service? Is that the law enforcement? See, here's the thing. Have you ever noticed that when you're guilty, you're always looking over your shoulder? That when you're speeding, you're always on the lookout for speed traps? When you're not wearing your, your seatbelt, boy, every time you think you see a police officer, you're like, oh, you know, you do the whole thing. And don't you hang me out there to dry. I know I'm not the only one. <laughs> you see a police officer and you, you get the, you know, the half on you just, all right. And then when he pulls behind you, you start sweating bullets. Right? You're sweating bullets because you were breaking the law. Paul says, do you want to uh, be unafraid? Then just do good. Uh, and, and that's the idea. See here, Proverbs 28 tells us that the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lions. See, we are to be as bold as lions. We're not to be worried about that because we're to walk uprightly. Uh, you know, have you guys ever been in the situation where it's like, all right, you know, the parents sit you down or the teacher sits you down. We need to have a talk. You're like, oh, great, they know. And they might not even know. See, that's a ploy. Uh, if there's any kids in here, just know. If your parents sit you down and say, we need to have a talk. Is there something you need to tell me? They probably actually don't know. That's just the reality. And, and actually, there was a city to where they had a, a bunch of fraudulent tax activity going on. There's a, a few members of the society that had owed some taxes. And so they put out a general statement to the public that there was going to be a mass indictment of all those who were delinquent in their taxes of, of a few individuals. And so People came flooding in from all over the place to actually pay their taxes. People who weren't even on the list. See, because when we have a guilty conscience, but we feel like somebody is out to get us. And Paul's saying, hey, just obey. And when you obey, boy, you can be as uh, bold as uh, a lion. But if you break the law, if you're breaking the law, look out. The law is going to get you. And I'm glad for that. 
I'm glad, though, again, that we have law and order in our country. Paul says, man, they do not bear the sword in vain. They don't. They have the authority, even authority to take life. And you say, whoa, that's, that's crazy. They don't bear the sword in vain. And so when the police say freeze, you freeze. When the police say pull over, you pull over. When the police say, you know, whatever, you do that. They don't bear the sword in vain. And our country was on fire a couple years ago over police brutality. And you know, here's the thing. I know that there's bad apples. And I know that there are situations that, man, you say that that wasn't right. But by and large, in almost every single instance, there was resisting, there was disobeying, there was all sorts of activity that, hey, listen, you obey. But we've been taught in our culture that, hey, listen, that's an option. And we have rights. And we do praise the Lord for our Constitution and for our rights. But I tell you what, in that moment, you better obey because they do not bear the sword in vain. Walk in obedience to the government. Stay on the right side of the law uh, because they don't bear the sword in vain. And Paul goes on to say that, that civil leaders are, they're God's ministers. So well, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? That those who are out on patrol or judges or governors or presidents, that they are, they're God's ministers. That they're to be about God's business. And so you say, well, well how does that all fit together? When you have Rulers who are, are wicked, how are they ministers of God? Well, we'll talk about that too in a minute, that, that God uses even wicked men to accomplish his will. But again, uh, under the, the assumption that Paul is talking about a, a moral um, governance, a moral governance, uh, or govern, uh, government, uh, moral leaders, Right? He says that they are God's ministers to what? To, to bring about uh, vengeance. Right? We just finished up chapter 12 where Paul says, hey, don't avenge yourselves. Right? Don't, don't go out and, and you know, you've heard it say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You're not to go out and to defend yourself in that way. But God is the one who uh, takes vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And God is telling us through this letter that Paul wrote that he uses the government to bring about his vengeance. He is the one, through government officials, through the justice system, to bring about justice. And so they're, they're God's ministers unto uh, justice. Verse 5, Paul continues on. He says, Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. So Paul says, man, in, 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 the, in light of everything that we've talked about, and be subject to the authorities. Obey the authorities. Why? Well, first of all, for fear of punishment, right? That's a good motivator. That's a good motivator for kids. That's a good motivator for us that, that we are to, uh, that we're to avoid breaking the law because we don't want to face the penalty. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to pay fines. That's it's a good motivator. But not only that, but for conscience sake. Paul says, listen, more than just worry, being worried about going to jail, you're Christians. Uh, you walk in obedience because you want to honor the Lord. Because you don't want to violate your conscience because you, you know that even if no one is looking, that the Lord sees. 
And so that's why we obey. That's why we walk in honesty and uh, in uprightness. Uh, because we want to obey the Lord for conscience sake. Uh, there's this thing, it's called the Conscience Fund. Actually, it still exists in the United States. And this fund exists so that people can voluntarily pay money uh, into this government account that have wrongfully acquired uh, money or withheld money from the government. And so you, you'll get things like, you know, uh, there's an example, a $1,300 check uh, was to make restitution for tools, leave days, and other things I stole while I was in the Navy from 1962 to 1967. That's one note, one note said. It's a guilty conscience so you can send money. And I ripped off the government so I can send money in. And it's interesting that in, in 2014, that, uh, that account took in like $1.5 million. Uh, that has dwindled to zero as people have, I, I don't know if, Society is, just has a seared conscience now, definitely. Or if they just don't trust the government, could very well be a combination of both of those things. But uh, it was for conscience sake, right? We are to obey for conscience sake uh, because we're, we're Christians. And uh, our responsibility to our civil leaders goes above and beyond just obeying them. But we're to honor them and we're to support them. We're to pay taxes. Pastor Jeremy, we have to obey and we have to pay taxes? And this is like the worst sermon ever. I'm sorry. Right? But none of this stuff comes naturally to us. Uh, again, naturally we want to rebel. We want to do our own thing. But Paul says, listen, no, we want to pay taxes. We want to support the authority. Again, uh, under the premise that it's a moral authority. Because we want to have police officers around. It's a good thing to have governors who are good and presidents who are good and police officers who are good to protect and to serve and to bust the bad guys. Right? A couple years ago in our country, we thought it was a bright idea to defund the police. That's, that's just genius. Let's just ask all the criminals to operate on you know, just good faith. We're going to use the honor system now, all you criminals, and we'll just see how that goes. And remember in Seattle, they had like this utopia where it was just going to be no police and they were going to live, they were going to self-govern, and boy, it was like a couple days in, they were calling the police. Like, we need help. Well, what happens when things, that we got to call, that's just what happened. And large cities all across the United States now, they're, way, they're like, oh man, I think this defund the police thing was a bad idea. You think? Like, uh, Crime skyrocketed. Shocking. That's exactly what... So we are to, to support the, the authorities through our taxes. Uh, that's what Paul is telling us. Render unto them what is due. Whether that is honor, absolutely. Obedience, absolutely. But taxes, yes. And all of this works great when the government is moral, when the government is just. But what about when the government and the ruling civil authorities are unjust? What about when the government is evil? Uh, and, you know, this is where we are as a society because you don't need me to stand up here and tell you that our government, boy, it's not exactly what the founding fathers envisioned. Right? They envisioned a, a small federal government, that there we would be self-governed in a lot of ways, that the government's responsibility would be limited to just protecting the innocent and punishing the evil. But, but now you look around and you say, holy smokes, man. 
the amount of tax that we pay to the government. And again, I don't know if this is just because I'm getting older. I remember I used to hear my grandpa complain about taxes, and now I feel like my grandpa. I'm like, oh man, they're getting you coming and they get you going. But seriously, you get paid, it gets taxed. Everything you buy gets taxed. You buy a car, you pay sales tax on it, even though the guy before you paid sales tax on it and the guy before him paid sales tax on it. Then you have to pay tax just for the right to own and drive the car. And then when you go to fill up with gas, you pay tax on the gas. And on and on and on in every aspect of life. You want to cut firewood, there's a tax. If you want to cut a Christmas tree, there's a tax. If you want to go hunting, there's a tax. If you want to go fishing, there's a tax. Say, what? And I'm not, I think this is a gross overreach, but still, are we to pay? Uh, What about when when the government is corrupt? Boy, we have some corruption in our government, don't we? The pet projects and the the, the money and insider trading and you have leaders of big corporations shifting over and and being a part of, of the government and making policy that govern those industries and they go back and forth. You have the immorality. I'm not too psyched that my tax dollars go to fund abortions. I'm not too psyched that my tax dollars go to a fund sex reassignment surgery for inmates. I'm not too stoked that my tax dollars go to purchase drug kits for junkies. And so now what do we do? We rebel and don't pay our taxes. No, I'm just kidding. I don't even, you know. We look to Jesus' example. You're like, all right, sermon's over. Pastor told us we don't have to pay our taxes. Nope. And I know there's clever editing, so I have to be careful with that stuff. But no, we look and what did Jesus do? Right? When Jesus was put on the spot, when the religious leaders of his day tried to corner him, Jesus, should we pay taxes unto Caesar or not? And you got to remember, that was a huge controversial situation in Jesus' day. The Jews hated paying taxes to the Romans because they were pagans, because they were immoral, because they didn't feel they had a right to rule over their lives, that only God had that right to rule over them. And so they thought, oh boy, now we have an opportunity to get Jesus. If Jesus says to pay taxes, boy, all of his Jewish followers will turn on him because they hate paying taxes to Rome. But if he says don't pay taxes, boy, then Rome can come in and arrest Jesus for telling people not to pay their taxes. And Jesus, you guys know the story. It's probably one of the the most known verses ever. To pay unto Caesar, what is Caesar's? Jesus said, hey, you want to know if you should pay taxes or not? Who's got a coin? Let me see it. He said, whose inscription is on there? Caesar's. Well, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And whose image are you made in? God's. And render unto God's which is God. See, here's the thing. The Roman Empire was corrupt. It was immoral. It was wicked. It was evil. And Jesus said, pay your taxes. And so that's what we are to do. We are to pay our taxes. Whether we agree or whether we don't agree, we're to pay our taxes. Uh, and, And how is it that Jesus could say that? How could Jesus say, all right, give money to the immoral, wicked people? See, because Jesus understood that his father is on the throne, that God is sovereign, that God is working all things together for good. And even though there may be wicked men sitting on the throne, or in our case, in office, God is still working all things together for good. God can use even wicked rulers to accomplish his purpose. Do you know that? That Even wicked rulers, God can use them to accomplish his holy purpose. And he has all throughout scripture. Think of the role that Pharaoh played with the nation of Israel. Wicked man. Think about King Nebuchadnezzar, the role that he played in bringing punishment uh, to God's people. Think about Pontius Pilate, wicked man, but the role that he played in condemning Jesus to death, that when Jesus died, boy, we have an opportunity now to be forgiven when we put our hope and faith in the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. So God can use even wicked men. And in Daniel, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar this very thing. 
Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. And he removes kings and he raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. When we look at our current situation, you say, man, I don't much care for our president or our vice president or our, you know, uh, governor or, or whoever it is. Maybe they are immoral. Maybe they are wicked. But you know what? God has allowed them to be in that situation. And I like to say that. See, even the way I script the issue, I say, well, God has allowed it. No, God has put them there. And we just have to understand that, that God is going to use them to, uh, to get his will done. Now, he's not responsible for the sins of tyrants. He simply uses uh, their rebellion to bring about his will. He's actively involved. Now, the flip side of that coin, we say, well, God's in control. God's the one who raises men up, and God is the one who, who puts men down. And sometimes as Christians, we can say, all right, well, well, there's no need to vote then. And we just check out. And we say, oh, God's in control. We take the, the fatalist approach. <clears throat> but, man, we're so blessed to live in a country where we have a say. We're so blessed to live in a country where our voices can be heard, where we get to cast about and say, this is the man or the woman that I am voting to rule over me. Don't take that for granted. Don't cheapen that by not participating in it. Because we say, oh, man, we want righteous and godly rulers, but then we don't show up to vote. Man, educate yourself. Find out what these people stand for and vote biblically. Right? You don't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. Right? God has given us the ability to elect godly leaders. So, so do that. It's really important as Christians. that we, And statistically, the church is one of the, the smallest groups of voters. Like it makes up a big portion of the population, but we just don't vote. And so understand, man, God, he is in charge, absolutely. But sometimes God uses us to accomplish his will also. So uh, make sure that, that we're out there and, and we're doing that, that we're making our votes uh, count and that we're voting biblically. Uh, and so, man, Jesus says, even when the government is wicked, you need to walk in obedience. Does that mean all the time? We always have to follow the government? No, actually we don't. There are certain times when we are to rebel against the government. Really? Yes. When the law of the land and the law of the Lord are at odds, we are to walk according to the law of the Lord. Period. And we see that played out in Scripture. Remember in the book of Daniel? Daniel was a Hebrew and he was in Babylon, in the land of captivity. But he was a good man. He was a godly man. He was a smart man. He was a hardworking man. And because of that, he found himself in a place of authority, ruling over other men. But those men, because Daniel was upright and just, boy, they despised him. And they wanted to find a way to take him out, but they couldn't find any dirt on him because he was squeaky clean. And so they said, oh, I know what we'll do. And they came up with a plan. They went to King Darius and they said, King Darius... Oh, amazing, awesome king, you smell delightful and you're handsome as all get out. They just buttered him up first. And then they said, if anybody should pray to you in the next 30 days, you should make a law. If anybody prays to anybody besides you, oh, magnificent king, if they pray to any other god or anything else, let them be thrown to the lions. And that was made into a law. And you know what Daniel did when he found out that he was no longer allowed to pray to God? He prayed to God. Uh, check it out. In Daniel... 
chapter 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three days that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Daniel said, no, you can't tell me I can't pray because God says I'm to pray. That's the way we're to live. Remember Peter? We'll fast forward to the New Testament now, the early church. Peter and some of the apostles, man, they're preaching the gospel. They're doing miracles. That's the time when, when people were coming from all over because even Peter's shadow, if you could just be in Peter's, there was people that were getting healed. Man, the Holy Spirit was at work. People were getting saved. The, 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 the gospel was going out. And the religious leaders, they were cranky about it. They saw what Peter was doing as a threat to Judaism. And so they had Peter and some of the apostles beaten up and thrown into prison. And remember that night the angel came and broke them out, busted them out? And the next morning the magistrates said, bring those low-down, dirty, rotten, gospel-preaching fools before me. And the guards went to go fetch them out of prison, and they weren't there. And they came and brought the report and said, man, the, the doors are locked, the guards are there, but the guys are gone. Where are they? They're out at the temple preaching the gospel. And we, didn't we just tell those guys? And that's what it says there in Acts chapter 5. And when they had brought them, and they sent them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intended to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than when the law of the land and the law of the Lord are at odds, we're to obey the Lord. Now, we're to live peaceably. We're to walk in obedience. But when it comes down to it, man, we are to obey the Lord. And we, as a church, were in this predicament not too long ago. When COVID first hit, and we didn't know what to think, right? Remember, it was like this deadly thing that was going to kill all the people that were sick, all the people who were elderly, all of the young it was spreading like wildfire. There was going to be a ventilation shortage. There were ships that were parking in harbor so we can have extra hospitals. And you remember what it was? Man, we just need to flatten the curve. We need everybody's help to flatten the curve. And we as a church said, man, praise the Lord. We don't want people to die. We're going to flatten the curve. And a couple weeks of flattening the curve turned into a couple more weeks. And then a couple more weeks, and then a couple months. And then the goal started to change. And it wasn't about flattening the curve. It was about getting vaccinated and all of these different things. And, and, and months turned into years. And pretty soon, we're, we're, we're trying to do church. We're like, nope, but you can only have five people. We're doing church online. Meanwhile, people are, are, are dying, and they're not allowed to, to see their family on their deathbed. All these crazy things are going on. It was a detriment to the health of the church. Uh, drug abuse, addiction. Uh, uh, all sorts of things went up, depression. And as time went on, we start to look around and say, wait, so we can still only have 10 people in church, but the casino can have 500 people there? Hey, wait a second. We're, we have to meet online church, but the bathhouses in San Francisco are open carte blanche, like no restrictions whatsoever? Wait, wait, wait a second. We have to regulate how many people can come to the church to worship God, but you can go to the strip club if you want to? And as a church, we said, ah, no, thank you. Right? We did everything we could. We spaced out. We met outside. But there was a point when we said, you know what? The Lord has called us to not forsake the gathering together of the saints. We didn't cause a stink. We didn't pick a fight. We didn't pick at City Hall. We, didn't cause we just said, we were just like Daniel. We, said, Whoosh! we opened the windows and we said, we're going to just follow the Lord. And here's the thing. We were ready for the consequences. 
Right? When that time comes, man, we're, we're just ready to face the music. If that's what it looks like, we're saying, all right, I'm going to follow the Lord. And I'm going to face the music, whatever that looks like. Because, Lord, I, I'm going to trust you in this. But what a timely message, really, honestly. And, and I'm not advocating that we go out and rebel against the government at the first opportunity that we get. That's not Paul's message. Paul's message is that we're to walk in obedience. God has put them in authority. But there comes a time when there's a line. And we have to be ready for that. And the more we look around, the more we see, boy, there's an attack on the Bible. There's an attack on truth in our society. And already, if you, if you watch the news, where the president was just in San Francisco, he goes back home a couple days later, there's this new disease now. That there, this is going to be like, they're already calling it, it's the next pandemic. You say, well, how do you know? Right? Do you know because it's an election season? I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but how do you know? Right? And what's the next thing going to be? And so we're to walk in obedience uh, to the government to uh, a certain point. Uh, our response as Christians, man, submit, obey, honor, uh, be the best citizens. We should be just the best citizens. People should be like, man, you're such a good citizen. It's because we're Christian. That should be synonymous. That should be the way that it goes. Uh, let, us, let us do that. But See, it goes further than that. See, this isn't the only passage in Scripture that talks about our relationship to the government. We are not only to obey and honor and support, but we're to pray. We're to pray. That should be at the top of our list is praying for our government leaders, for our president, vice president, our governor, our mayors, anybody. And that's what we want, isn't it? Is for our leaders to have holy wisdom and discernment to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I tell you what, man, unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to be hard to be led by the Holy Spirit. We need to be praying for the salvation of our leaders. First Timothy 2.1 says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Number one, Paul says that's, that's our first step as Christians is to pray. For, for those uh, people who are in authority. So obey, honor, support, pray for uh, our government. That is what we're to do because God is on the throne. And the plans of a, a man's heart are many. You know what? The president might have lots of plans on what he thinks is going to go down in the future, but it's God's purpose who's going to prevail. And see, as Christians, that we can rest assured. Again, we don't have to get bent out of shape. We understand that God is on the throne no matter who is in the Oval Office, and that is the truth. And we can rest in that. And, you know, here we are in, in Christmas season, and we're celebrating the first advent of, of Jesus, the first coming of Christ. And it's called the first coming because there's another one. <laughs> He's coming again. Right? He came the first time to bring peace, to, to die for the sins of humanity that we might be saved. The second time, He's coming bearing the sword. He's coming to bring justice and to establish his kingdom. And the government will be on his shoulders. And where our government falls short now, it won't fall short then. And it's going to be amazing. And see, we can look back and say, oh, Lord, you're good. You've got our past covered. And because we know that you've been good in the past, we know that you'll be good in the future. And so we can rest assured. It's important. So don't be full of consternation and bitterness and anger. Don't Throw your laptop when you know. I mean, I, we, we're not those who throw our laptops when we watch the news. But, you know, I mean, we can get pretty cranky when we watch the news, some of us. There's no need. God's on the throne. 
Simply obey, honor, support to that point. And remember God's goodness. Remember God's goodness. Amen? Amen. So we get to continue this morning in remembering God's goodness as we come to the table. And again, as we come to the table of communion, what's the point? Why do we do this every week? Why did Jesus want us to, to go through this exercise where we eat a little cracker and drink a little juice often? Because he wants us to remember. He wants us to remember. We are fickle people with short-term memories. We're busy with life and baseball practice and soccer practice and Christmas shopping and, and turkey cooking and, and all the rest. And it's easy for us in the mix of things to just forget, man, what has Jesus done for me personally? What has he done for you in your life? What does that mean? And we need to remember what Jesus has done and who we are as a result And again, even with the whole government situation, as we remember God's past goodness and faithfulness, boy, it encourages us. It reminds us that he's going to be faithful uh, and good in our future. And so as we take a minute to come to the table of communion, man, we're invited as guests. None of us are worthy in our merits to come and sit at the, the table of the king. But we come based on the merits of Jesus, and that's the point. As we hold the bread, we remember that Jesus says, this is my body given to you, for you. We're reminded that Jesus took our punishment upon himself. You owed a debt that you couldn't pay. There's nothing worse than being in debt. We all know that feeling. To be in debt financially is terrible, but to be in debt with your life? Boy, we really can't even comprehend. But we were in debt with our lives, and Jesus laid down his that we might regain ours. And that's what the body is about, the cracker. Jesus says, I paid your price in full. And he took the juice and said, this is the the wine of the new covenant that we no longer try to uh, approach the Lord based on the law, but based on the fact that Jesus fulfilled the law. And we're reminded as we take the juice that, man, yes, we are sinners. Every single one of us. Our sins were scarlet, but they've been washed white as snow. So as we come to the table, man, we can thank the Lord. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But we are welcomed in because we're covered by the blood of Jesus and we're to remember who Jesus is, what he's done, and who we are as a result. It's a great opportunity to remember, to be refreshed, to be restored, and just take a minute to get right with the Lord and ask him for wisdom and discernment and direction to repent. Uh, It really is good. And so Jessica and Peyton are going to come up. They'll close us out in another song or two. Uh, But take this opportunity to really remember God's past faithfulness and be encouraged Uh, according to the future. And so, Lord, we do. We thank you so much. Again, for your word, just how practical it is, that we can study through it, and it's not complicated uh, in principle, but it's difficult in application. And again, Lord, remind us often that it's not by our own efforts or strengths, but, Lord, you've called us to do these things, but you've empowered us by your Holy Spirit to walk these things out. Lord, that we're not trying to obey the government to earn your favor, but What you've done on the cross, that's what secured our salvation. We obey you, Lord, because we're saved. And so help us, Lord, to be good citizens, to give honor where honors do, and fear where fears do, and uh, finances even where financers are due, Lord. Not because of any merit of the government's part, Lord, but because we recognize that you have established it by your authority, that you are in control. And in honoring them, we honor you. 
And Lord, help us to be wise, Lord, even as your word says, wise as serpents and harmless as doves, that we wouldn't have the hearts of rebels looking for the first opportunity to draw the line in the sand, Lord, but that we would be surrendered. But Lord, that you would give us wisdom and discernment to know where that line is and help us to be bold uh, where you've called us to make a stand for who you are and walk in obedience to you. So we love you, Lord. Again, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you've saved us. And as we take in these elements, as we walk through this just practical exercise that you've called us to, Lord, I pray that we would take in those truths and promises again and that we would be refreshed as we remember. We would be restored, Lord. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com. Thank you.